The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Tuesday, July 12th. Depending on who you ask, crypto's volatility is either a bug or a feature. Wild, unexpected, or aggressive price swings make this an asset class that is ill-suited to anyone less experienced or less comfortable at managing risk. It's clear that these swings can be challenging, but is there a world in which some people perceive them as a benefit? And if so, what's that upside? Today, I'm joined by Bloomberg Opinion columnist Lionel Laurent to discuss whether there's any value to crypto's volatility. Lionel, thank you so much for joining us. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from uh, Paris, which is, uh, yeah, trying to be uh, a crypto hub along with many other cities. Lots of cities might currently be rethinking their desire to be crypto hubs, given given the state of the markets. You know, one of the things our colleague and your direct colleague in Bloomberg Opinion, Tyler Cohen, has written about is this idea that if you can't think of any other good reasons for crypto to exist, the fact that it's so volatile is potentially interesting. You have written a lot about many different elements of crypto, often with an extremely skeptical perspective. I'd love to hear what you think about the idea of volatility as usability. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty accurate to say that if you're promoting an asset as being volatile, that means it's failed on a, on a lot of other fronts. It's not usual that we spend our time saying, I love the price of electricity when it's volatile. <laughs> I love it when I go to the store and I, my purchasing power is very volatile. Therefore, I don't know if I'm going to pay a lot or pay a little for my groceries. 0.01 Bitcoin, please. So I think the point here is to say that volatility is great for some types of actors. And it's kind of interesting because I think those are the actors that do like crypto today. Mm -hmm. Financial traders who know how to model risk and volatility. Speculators who are, I guess, okay with the prospect of stomach churning fools if it means that in the future they can still dream of a 100% or, or, or even more. And even journalists and people chit-chatting and intellectuals like this kind of volatile thing because it means they can think about all the different ways in which crypto could develop in the future. But the bottom line is, if it's volatile, then it's failed at being, uh, I think, it's failed at being a, a medium of payment, a medium of exchange, because that's, as we see it around us in these times of energy volatility, most people do not want their method of payment to be volatile. Most people can't even afford to have their savings or their investments in, in something this volatile. So I think that even if you can argue that volatility, you can say, you could even say, I think a lot of people do that volatility is coming down in, in crypto. I think recently it's shot back up. And I think it shows you that this is not for the masses yet. It's not for the faint hearted. It's for a certain type of investor. To that point, Meltem Dumouraires, the chief strategy officer at CoinShares, previously had this to say on Bloomberg Markets. 
And again, what we need to remember is in crypto, volatility is the price of the opportunity. We are going to see dramatic swings and corrections that is part of being allocated to the asset class. I want to focus on something you said about folks who had perceived crypto potentially being a store of value or a a mechanism for payment or a medium of exchange. This isn't something you seem particularly sold on as a prospect. Well, no, I mean, it's uh, I think let's focus on Bitcoin because I think there's many flavors of of crypto, but Bitcoin is a fascinating story to me because, I mean, I've been following it for almost a decade now, and the narratives have always changed. And in the beginning, it was supposed to be proof that you could have a payment system outside of the banking system. Then it was discovered that past a certain point, there were all sorts of inefficiencies and stresses in the system that meant it couldn't scale properly. And then it became sold as digital gold and the sort of scarcity value of, of these 21 million Bitcoin, and you would never go beyond that. And we we see what happens basically when you do have a fixed supply. It's a bit like a like a commodity. It all becomes about demand, selling Bitcoin, getting more people involved, getting new money coming in, and also on top of the new money, having to pay the electricity cost to mine it. The, these are all reasons why Bitcoin is what it is today, which is it still exists and it's still here. You could always point to that and say that's victory. But I don't think you could point at what's happening and say, we we know what this is. We know what this is for. We know how it works. It works as a supposedly stable store of value because it isn't a store of value. And now the final narrative to fall away is the inflation hedge. Mm -hmm. Inflation's back in a big way and Bitcoin is uh, through the floor. So another narrative that's been knocked down. One thing that you've noted, you know, again, to use your word about narratives, is this idea of crypto FOMO that had affected not all of Wall Street, certainly, some of them are still violently anti-crypto, but at least some of them. And the fact that, and you tweeted this, and I said you should make this a column, but the that the people on Wall Street who seem to be continuing to make money on crypto are the ones who are making distressed bets, right? So they're bankruptcy advisory, or, you know, they're collecting fees on different types of, of trades. Do you think that even Wall Street, which is home to lots of people who understand risk is finding that that crypto FOMO should have been crypto like joy of missing out instead. That's a good question. I think it's 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 slightly different, I guess, at firm level versus uh, individual banker or trader level. I think institutionally, we have seen a lot of pressure on banks and institutions to, to dip their toes. It's resulted in a, in a lot of different things. As you point out, JP Morgan investment banks have been uh, lending to institutions that are in crypto. They've not really touched the cryptocurrencies themselves, but made money on the ecosystem around it. Basically, I think that for anyone to point at what's happening today and say, okay, this system is, is surviving and there are individuals and institutions out there to backstop it, you would have to see a lot more than what's happening today, which is basically some big shot crypto billionaires who run exchanges like Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, sort of throwing a few pennies at distressed platforms and hoping to, to pick up the crumbs. So FTX signed an agreement with BlockFi today. The deal includes an option to purchase the crypto lender for as much as $240 million. Sam Bankman-Fried co-founder of FTX. I think you would need an actual Wall Street institution to, to come in and say, we are making a meaningful acquisition or a meaningful merger here for it to look like this space has a future today within a regulated entity. I think what's happening now shows you that we are a fair way off, even if there has been a bit of, I guess, unhealthy FOMO from some institutions. 
it's interesting that you say that about, you know, M&E. We, we are in such a distressed environment that that's absolutely something that folks are not just expecting, but actively talking up, right? Like various crypto companies have come out and said, we have a responsibility to ensure, what's the phrase, healthy consolidation in the industry. Um, the the CEO of Binance and the folks at Nexo have both said that, you know, they want they want to be there for the people for the people who need them. You mentioned Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX attempting to sort of ride to the rescue, as it were. But to your point, it doesn't look as if anyone on Wall Street has yet found anyone operating at a value that is attractive enough to make that risk worth their while. What do you think about the opposite, where there's various kinds of speculation that a crypto-native firm could make, you know, a tradfi, a traditional finance acquisition? People got very excited when Sam Bankman-Fried disclosed that he had acquired a stake in Robinhood, for instance. Yes, and that that kind of makes me have a different vision of, of the future of, of, of what he might try and attempt. Because I can so- totally see uh, a universe where he comes out as the, as the winner in this situation by creating essentially a kind of great big casino in the sky, a sort of virtual <laughs> 24-7 marketplace where you can trade stocks and crypto and everything. It's like all of this stuff, the, the, the meme stock stuff and crypto, that's where you go. He's sort of clean house. So that, that might be his plan. I don't know today if if that's really possible. If this is this is the question: if crypto keeps falling, if if Bitcoin keeps falling, I don't see how these exchanges today, whether it's FTX or Binance, I just don't see even if they're making a lot of actual dollars out of this, I just don't see how they can they can withstand that. We'll be right back with more of Lionel Laurent's take on the volatility of crypto and its implications for the current market. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. In another one of your columns, you explicitly used the analogy of crypto not being too big to fail, right? Contra what happened in 2008 and onward, where various governments decided, like, actually, it would seem that having our commercial banking system fall into pieces would not be ideal from a consumer perspective. It doesn't seem as if crypto has sort of risen to that level for regulators and governments. Is there anything that you're observing, perhaps in Paris, perhaps in Europe, perhaps elsewhere, that suggests that regulators are looking more or less positively on what's happening in crypto right now? Again, we have to separate out a few things. I think regulators have always had the same view of something like Bitcoin. Uh, I think they are, uh, as long as you focus on the exchanges and the off-ramps from uh, regular currencies, I think they they don't mind it behaving the way it does. I think 
size not being too big to fail, I think we've obviously seen today, there aren't that many connections to the real economy. And when I ask regulators, what if this $1 trillion market disappeared tomorrow, they, they don't seem that fussed about, about the consequences. I do think that they are far more concerned about uh, stable coins as the Facebook experiment put them, put them on alert. Uh, I do think that they are concerned about what happens next. I mean, if, if, if DeFi becomes the, the hot new thing uh, eventually once, once again, and if, if links increase to the, to the real economy, then they are very uh, concerned and sort of watching it. Um, but I would say that today... They haven't really changed their minds much, but I think they are going to be looking much closer at all the different offshoots uh, of crypto to make sure it doesn't become too big to fail one day. Well, you mentioned stablecoins and you mentioned the Facebook experiment, which is, you know, back, I think it was in 2018, was the first time that this news came out that Facebook was looking to develop a crypto that would uh, allow cross-border transfers with WhatsApp as as the vehicle. Um, and a lot of people had concerns about that. Certainly the, the moneygrams of the world who felt their entire business model quake in fear, but also governments who have an interest in making sure that it's relatively difficult to, to transfer currencies across borders. As it relates to the regulators that you mentioned, a big concern they have with stablecoins is that it reintroduces systemic risk in a way that we also saw in the financial crisis, where things that didn't look correlated suddenly become so because they're all exposed to the same thing. Given what you've said about too big to fail, do you think if stablecoins were a bigger part of this ecosystem, you would have a different analysis? I think the problem with, with stablecoins, as I see it, is, is, is we're getting into um, bank-like activities without bank-like regulation. I, I think that's the problem. And I think that's what I'm seeing a lot in, in DeFi too. You have lending going on, you have borrowing going on, you have leverage, you have interest rates, you have the sort of, I guess it's like a, a meme or, or a kind of caricature of what banking is, but without none of the... Uh, oversights or the or the protections that regular banking has to provide. Right. The if it looks like a bank, walks like a bank, talks like a bank, should re- regulated like a bank situation. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, frankly, regulators have been behind the curve on a lot of this stuff. I mean, I don't know today what regulators think is beyond the pale fundamentally. Yes, they say they're tough on fraud and scams, but what is the activity that they think would be beyond the pale for a stablecoin or, or a non-bank entity to provide on DeFi through crypto. I don't know. I, I think we, we need to know what should be genuinely banned, right? And, and, and I'm sure there is stuff that should be banned that isn't, even though it's sort of parading itself as DeFi or stablecoin. And I just feel like it's not clear. So regulators are always kind of running after it. A clarity that many, many people on multiple sides of this equation are all seeking. Well, thank you so much, Lionel, for joining us from the Paris studio of, of this podcast. Appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Thank you very much. You can find more of Lionel's opinion columns on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com and on Twitter. He's Lionel R.A. Laurent. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, some investors are still buying the token known as Luna Classic, which has flatlined towards zero in the aftermath of the collapse of the Terra USD stablecoin. Why are people willing to bet on so-called zombie coins? You'll hear from Bloomberg senior editor Mike Regan and Bloomberg reporter Ms. Relena Egofopoulou for more on the motivations of these treasure hunters of the token deeps. 
I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. And you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of this episode is Vicky Vergalina. Our producer is Mohamed Farouk. Associate producer is Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sedrin. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.